But I just talked to a high school, one of the kids who really stuck out to me. He was like, I hear you saying all this other cute stuff, but how do I get rich? And it was at that moment, I was like, yo, what would I wanted to hear if I was a kid? <laughs> I was the same way of like, just tell me what it is and I'll do it. The key to getting wealthy and just getting out of a hole in general is one, you gotta be at the starting line. So you can't have any debt. And two is you just gotta get invested. I didn't miss my life with Fago. Stack my money up like Lego. That me when I say so. Pull up in the spotlight. Pull up in the drive. All right, so you are now tuned in to another episode of Money Music Culture. It's your boy Brandon Copeland, aka Professor Cope. And it's your boy Ross Mack. And we have the pleasure of sitting down with my guy Joe Pompliano. We are looking forward to diving into a bunch of different topics today but first and foremost we got to check in with our guest joe how are you doing today i'm doing great fellas thanks for having me of course man we appreciate you making the time for us but if you don't mind can you introduce yourself to our audience of course guys so i used to work at jp morgan in new york city i was on the wealth management side uh essentially managing money for rich people and then <laughs> i said enough of that i went out and i started my own media business so a lot of what i focus on now is financial education and the business side of sports. So it's talking to professional athletes, entertainers, people like that, not only on the investing stuff, uh, but a lot of education stuff. So I write a daily newsletter. It goes out uh, Monday through Friday. It is, I have about 50 to 55,000 people on it right now. I do a podcast called the Joe Pomp Show, which is conversations with uh, athletes, business executives, CEOs, people of that nature, where we just talk shop about uh, business, sports, finance, investing, and so on. Epic. Love it, love it, Epic, love it. Man. Yeah, man. And I was going to say, I guess, money, music, culture, we really try to, to, to help people not just think differently, but just understand the options and the potential for their lives, right? And, and you know, when you say you were working at J.P. Morgan, Ross has worked at Morgan Stanley, he's worked at hedge funds, I've interned at UBS, right? And for most of us, or, or from the outside looking in, most people assume you've made it once you've made it to that job at J.P. Morgan, right? So I'm curious to know what was going through your mind. Like you say, you're managing money for rich people. I'm sure, you know, you, you, you're going out to clubs and you got big corporate expense cards and things like that. But what in your mind was like, I, I don't like this. I, I want to do something different. What, what took you there? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, to be honest. It's that idea of like, I had worked at previous other jobs. I worked at Octagon Sports Agency in, in Washington, D.C. I worked at a company called Market Access, which was trading fixed income bonds. And I thought for the longest period of time, I, like, you know, J.P. Morgan was up here to me, right? It was like, hey, if I can get there, <laughs> I'm set. I'm good to go, all this kind of stuff. And, and once you get there, there's like this realization in your mind of like, wait, maybe that's not it, you know? Hey, it's your boy, Ross Mack, and I need you to stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to Money Music Culture, and also go ahead and share the wealth. Share with your auntie, cousins, and your friends. I started thinking, like, long-term, one, are you going to be happy doing this? I think that's a huge portion of it, because if you're not happy doing the things that you're doing, you're not going to be that great at it, right? You have to put all your effort and your time and your energy into it, so happiness is certainly part of it, and it's something that you're passionate about. But also the idea of, like, you have so much more opportunity uh, to go do something on your own, right? I was earning a salary, a good salary, uh, in a very fortunate position, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, going out on my own and doing it from an entrepreneurship perspective gave me the ability to go kind of eat what you kill, right? And you have you, you have the ability to uh, 
do it much quicker. You have the ability to make a much greater impact. And you have um, basically the idea is that you can go out and you can do all this on your own. So as much as I thought that JP Morgan was kind of the end goal, when I reached it, you know, I was uh, 26 years old, right? So when I reached it at that point in time, uh, I realized that there was just so many more other opportunities that I wanted to go pursue. Man, that's an amazing story. I want to commend you. Got a very similar background to you, but I won't bore you with mine. But I do want to get an idea on kind of, you know, what your experience is, one, being in the wealth management standpoint. But now, as you start thinking about asset allocation, how has that conversation completely different, right? I think it had to have shifted, right? I, if I recall correctly, working at JP, you guys probably frowned frowned upon crypto in general. So now, right, as we start thinking about asset allocation overall, like how would you say that is just morphed into just a whole new different paradigm? It's crazy. And and again, you're right. Like I, not only at JP Morgan did I have experience doing this, but afterwards when I started talking to some of these athletes and they're like, their financial advisor literally was not allowed to talk to them about crypto. Right. Yeah. And when you start to think about it, like whether you believe in one project or another or crypto, the space and digital assets in general, it's a it's a multi trillion dollar industry now. Right. So the idea that people are just going to ignore it makes no sense to me at all. Like if you're not educated on it, if you don't believe in it, if you whatever, you can say that, but don't just ignore it. Right. So JP Morgan, uh, they, they probably changed their mind a little bit on it now. I, I've been I've been out of there for a few years now. But ultimately, what happened at the time was, yeah, you're exactly right. They just completely ignored it. They brushed it to the side. One, because I think it was new and it was seen as like kind of this, uh, this separate industry. But secondly, it was challenging their business, right? Digital finance and decentralized finance challenges their business to some degree. So maybe there was like some willingness not to accept it at first. But you're exactly right. It just opens your eyes as to like everyone's situation is different, right? Everyone has different uh, the ability to take on different risk. Everyone has a different amount of capital. Everyone's age is different. Everyone's family is different, right? So there's just so many different circumstances that go into it. And the idea that you're going to build a one size fits all plan for, for every individual is just not reality, right? So mm -hmm. when I left, it just opened your eyes to a bunch of different things, not only on the investing front, my mindset towards my personal portfolio changed a lot. And, and we can get into that if you guys want, but ultimately it's a very structured way of thinking when you're in an organization like that, right? It's, it's, Hey, you're going to take more risk when you're younger, less risk when you're older, you're going to allocate a certain, certain portion of bonds. You're going to have a certain amount of cash. You're going to be uh, risk adverse in these situations. When inflation's high, you're going to do this. You're going to take out a loan in this scenario. And there's like a playbook, right? And you follow the rules. And when you leave that situation and you start talking to different people and reading different things and educating yourself and really just having a clear mind about these things, uh, the ideas in your head can morph and change a lot. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to chime in on that because I think that one of, one of the things I always tell people, especially young athletes when they're trying to figure out, you know, hey, who should I invest my money with? Who should I trust? All these things. You gotta, whenever you walk into a room, you gotta understand how everyone makes money, right? Like, if you're trying to pitch me on an idea, I wanna know how you eat off of it, right? I wanna know where your incentives lie because then that'll help to, and that'll help me understand why you're pushing me to this product as opposed to this product and things like that. So I think it's important for everybody to always understand whenever you're in a room, understand how the people in that room make money, how they feed themselves, right? Two, I also want to talk about, like you said, your personal portfolio, because I think, like you said, people have passed down this blueprint and this traditional way of doing it. And personally, like I tell people, if like I, if I wanted the life that everybody else had, then I'd 
do that blueprint as well, right? But the life I've dreamed for myself is totally different. And for those people out there that dream different or dream bigger than, than the, the, the average in the world, right? And, and the comfortable, there's, you know, the comfortable people in the world, so to speak, uh, you gotta do and you have to live different. You gotta sacrifice different. You have to hustle different. So when it comes to your portfolio, right? If let, let's let's dive into that. Can you talk about your your the the difference that you the difference in your portfolio today versus like it was when you were, you know, with the blueprint, so to speak, at JP Morgan? Yeah. So so two things on that. I want to touch on the first part that you mentioned before, which is see how everyone makes money. And for your listeners who may not have heard this before, Charlie Munger, uh, he's obviously a legendary investor. He has a famous quote that says, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome, right? Because it's the perfect way to look at things from the idea of like, how are you going to make money on this? Are you, do you sell bonds? Is that why you want me to buy a bond? Do you sell life insurance? Is that why you want me to buy life insurance? Right? So that, that's an excellent way to look at it. And then when it comes to, uh, the idea of professional athletes, the one thing I always say is, look, you're at a point in your career where a lot of people want access to you, right? They, they want to talk to you. They want to be friends with you. They want to be seen with you. Maybe they want to manage your money. Maybe they have an investment that you think they could, that they think you could help out with. But ultimately, it's the one point of your career, no matter what kind of level you're at in that profession, just professional athletes in general, where people want to be around you, right? They want to be seen with you. They want to be related to you. So it's the, like the, the best athletes in the world, I always say, like, Go call up the best investors, right? They'll have lunch with you. They'll have a mm. phone call with you. Mm -hmm. Say, can I shadow yeah. you? Can I intern for you? Can I come in for a day? Can I see how you operate? And what you'll find is not only are they willing to teach people these things, but then when that deal comes up and they say, hey, look, I'm investing in this deal. I'm an angel in this deal. I'm looking at this, whatever. You'll start getting those calls. And that's where a lot of this money is made is just those relationships. Because at the end of the day, mm. education is a massive piece of all of it's the biggest piece, but relationships are still massive and huge also. So you got to develop those relationships and there's no better way to do it than when, when you're active. But when it comes to uh, personal portfolio, mine has changed a lot. When I graduated, I went to school, I studied economics, I studied business. I told you guys, I went to JP Morgan afterwards and I was structuring it just like they tell you to in a book. Um, I got a certain amount in equities. I got a certain amount in bonds. I'm looking at currencies. I'm doing all these things, right? And I'm picking stocks here or there, trying to outsmart people, do these things, but I'm I'm following the book mostly, right? I'm, I'm doing dividends and all this kind of stuff. And then when you leave, you start to just think of like, how did all these people get rich? And really the general one thing that they all did was they had conviction in one idea, right? And they put a, and, and they had a big bet on something. Sure, some people made their money by, they had a good high paying job, they invested over a period of time, they made a million bucks, five million bucks in their lifetime, right? And they saved up and, and all this. But the people that have outsized wealth, I'm talking about 50 million, 100 million, a billion dollars, they all took a bet and they had conviction in something where no one else saw it yet, right? So mm. what is that to you? Is it a certain company? Is it an asset like Bitcoin? Is it something else, right? They, you have to find what that is. And that doesn't mean you go and you put all your money in the first thing you see. There's some kind of idea around losing some money, having some skin in the game and figuring out kind of how this works, because I think that's a part of it. But when you realize that, you know, the things that uh, everyone educates you on, which is just, you know, do a certain percent in this, a certain percent in this, it's meant to keep us how we are, right? And it's meant to keep the system how it is. You really got to think outside the box and start looking at rich people. What did they do? And I'm telling you, every single person, mostly that you look at, they, they took an outsized bet on something that no one else believed in at the time when they did. And some of them built incredible business around of it. Some of them will claim that they got lucky, but ultimately at the end of the day, you got to have conviction in something. And there's, there's another famous quote, uh, that, uh, that essentially says like diversification preserves your wealth, 
conviction builds it, right? And you and you got to have an idea of like putting your all, all your assets or all your eggs in one basket that you believe in, and then you use that diversification later on to preserve that wealth that you built. I love that. Great, great, great insight. So I have a question, right? I just talked to a high school this past weekend. It was one of the kids who really stuck out to me. He's like, I hear you saying all this other cute stuff, but how do I get rich? And it was at that moment, I was like, yeah, what would I wanted to hear if I was a kid and just saying, <laughs> right, I'm in the inner cities, I'm literally in the hood, right? And it was like the funniest thing I ever heard. But then it was like, you know what? What can they actually fathom and actually internalize? And it was all metaverse, right? And so at that moment, the first thing I thought about was like, okay, what games do you play? Do you play, you know, is it 2K, is it Fortnite, et cetera? Then I started saying, okay, this is how you can, you know, make money from it, right? So so speaking about that, right, and being, you know, your connection with wealth management and actual sports, right, let's start talking a little bit about what's your view on the NFT space with respects to just one, athletes and entertainers in general, but then, right, what's your thought on the metaverse as we move forward as well? Yeah, I think when it comes to uh, NFTs, Metaverse, Web3, all this kind of stuff, there's a bunch of people doing a lot of different things, right? And to be honest, I don't have the answer to a lot of it. And I don't think anyone that tells you they do, they're wrong, right? Like no one knows. There, there, there's some kind of people, uh, there's obviously some level of legitimacy. You've gotten it right to this point. You've, you've uh, invested in things. They've worked out. You have some legitimacy or some, some what we'll just call street cred, right? But at the end of the day, no one knows what the future is going to look like. You may have a, a better idea than someone else, but no one really knows. So I think part of it is just being authentic and trying to learn and getting engaged in that community, right? We've seen professional athletes uh, do NFT projects. And, and there's great examples of people doing really well with it and selling out and making all this money and doing all this stuff. And then we've seen people that are super popular, superstar players do the exact same thing and not sell out and not have that community and not make that money, right? Because people can tell when you're not authentic, when you're just trying to make a quick buck. So I think my greatest advice around that kind of stuff is just like learn, right? Like spend a lot of time learning, spend a lot of time in communities. When it comes to NFTs, spend a lot of time in discords, spend a lot of time on, on Reddit, spend a lot of time on Twitter, on the internet, and just learn as much as you can. And what you'll find that over time is like, you'll figure out to yourself what you think is interesting. And then you make those conviction, convicted bets on what you think is interesting, right? So if you think building a game an earn to play game uh, on the metaverse is interesting, go do that, right? But when it comes to getting rich, like I, I love that someone asked you that because that's that's like real life, right? Like people just want to yeah. know, like, what do I need to do? Like, <laughs> with a playbook, I'll go do it, right? And I was the same way of like, just tell me what it is and I'll do it. But ultimately, mm -hmm. the one the number one thing I always say to people in those situations is just like the key to getting wealthy and just getting out of a hole in general is one, you got to be at the starting line. So you can't have any debt. You got to, you got to get rid of your debt almost immediately. And two is you just got to get invested, right? Because if you look at the numbers, I think it's 50% of the people in this country live uh, paycheck to paycheck. And like 70% of people don't have investable assets, right? And maybe it's somewhere in between now, maybe that's a year or two old, but the idea is there's a large, large percentage, if not the majority of this country that lives paycheck to paycheck and does not have investable assets. And you look at a year like this year, this is why financial education is so important, right? Because I'm sure people you talk to, people I talk to, regular everyday people do not understand what is going on, right? Which is the idea of money being created and their wealth being diminished because they don't own anything, right? So in an environment like we're in, uh, the inflation number last month was 6.8% CPI. So that means goods, on average, goods and services are getting 6.8% more expensive year over year. Rich people love inflation. Rich people love it. They, they think it's fantastic. They own investable assets. Their assets go up when money is printed, and they make a bunch of money. That's why everyone's online. They're complaining. They're saying, hey, uh, Elon Musk got $100 billion richer. 
you know, Bill Gates got richer, Warren Buffett, they all got richer. Yeah, they own investable assets. And who it really hurts is the people at the bottom, right? The people that don't own investable assets and that spend an outsized amount of their income on housing, food, shelter, transportation, all these things that are increasing at a much higher rate. So I always say like, yeah, there's some tricks around uh, starting businesses. There's some tricks around investing. There's some knowledge stuff that you obviously have to overcome. But ultimately, the biggest piece of advice you can ever give, in my opinion, is just to get invested in, in, and make sure you're at the starting line. Mm, that's major right there. And, and as we as we do this, you've been uh, a great guest already, but you've also brought us a song to listen to, which is awesome. So let's go ahead and dive into that really quickly, and then let's have let's continue the conversation. Within society, that's major. It's like the Negro League. It was a time America wouldn't let us ball. Those times are now back. It's now called Afrotech. Generational wealth, that's the key. My parents ain't have shoes, so that shift started with me. My mom took her money, she bought me bonds. That was the sweetest thing of all time. Uh. Legacy, 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 legacy. Ooh, there we go, there we go. Legacy, legacy, legacy. I love that, man. You brought that song to us. So first and foremost, what what do you hear when you hear that song? It's all about generational wealth, right? Like he talks about it. And the idea is like, you have to start thinking outside of W-2 income or cash income, right? And it's how do I create something that's bigger than me? And he says, hey, my, my mom bought me bonds, right? Like that's whatever. He talks about generational wealth. He says, that's the shift that has to start with me. Because ultimately, a lot of people, the, the people that I just spoke about that are on that bottom rung right now and are trying to learn how to invest or trying to learn how to get in the market or trying to learn how to build this generational wealth, you have to think outside of just, hey, I need to go make a dollar, right? There's plenty yep. of people that make a bunch of money on salary and don't end up with anything in the end. Mm. It's all about investing. It's all about building companies, acquiring assets and creating this generational wealth. So, so the biggest thing I think that I take from that song is like, how do you think outside of yourself? How do you think outside of the immediate people around you? And how do you start thinking bigger picture? Because the second you start thinking bigger picture is when it all starts to come together and you realize, hey, I could do something much bigger than just focus on myself and make myself rich. I want to be wealthy, right? Mm. I love it. So you gave a blueprint earlier, right, on how to start taking the necessary steps to getting or accumulating wealth, right? First thing you said is get rid of debt, right? Two, you need to just start getting invested because, well, you need to find a way to outpace inflation. Inflation heist has been over 30 years at 7%, right? And so now let's take the blueprint a little further without, you know, maybe giving all the secret sauce. But like, what would you tell a young kid, right? Like creating your own new, you know, Joe Pomp blueprint right 3.0 right like what what does that look like is it a certain percentage of stocks versus crypto is it nfts i don't know if you're telling a young kid 20 to own bonds anymore right like what does that look like now bro <laughs> nah i'll tell y'all i don't own any bonds at all <laughs> there, 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 are no, there are no bonds there's a lot of bonds that uh will give you a real negative return right now so mm, that's literally. certainly not part of the portfolio uh but if i look like if i was starting all over in my mind, business is all about leverage, right? And it's where do you have leverage? Is it you came from a wealthy family and you have access to people? That's leverage. Is it that you know something that someone else doesn't know within a certain area? That's leverage. Is it capital to go and invest? That's leverage, right? Like there, 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 there's leverage in everything, right? And in business is about finding those areas of leverage and going to use them to your benefit. So if I had to start all over, like I, it, it, it's tough to say, but in my mind, like if I had nothing, right, if I just had to go make connections, if I had to go do all this stuff, I would try to find uh, 
an industry or a trend that I really believed in that I thought was going to be here for the next 15, 20, 50 years and something that was going to grow a lot. So it's a small, smaller market. It doesn't have to be tiny, but crypto is a good example, right? It's Bitcoin is a, a trillion dollar asset today. Some people believe it'll be a $10 trillion asset. Some people believe it'll be a hundred trillion dollar asset, but whether it 10 X's or a hundred X's, it's going to, it's going to grow a lot, right? So what you do is you go find companies in that space that you can work for, get good experience right out of school, right? Whether you're at a school, high school, whatever it is, you're young and you go get good experience at a good company in a growing space. And what you'll find is not only do you get good experience, but a lot of these companies, if you're in at a, at a decent amount of time, you have some level of experience or whatever, they may offer you, offer you equity compensation, right? And as you learn throughout the years, the equity is really what's key. It's to find those opportunities where you have the ability to 10X, 20X, 50X, that capital and that leverage. So whether it's starting something on your own, whether it's joining something that's already started, a lot of people need to think outside of W2 income in my mind, right? And it's not just earning that salary. It's not just earning that cash paycheck that you go and spend on, on everyday expenses, right? Life, uh, housing, transportation, your family. Because at the end of the day, like when you're just getting cash, everyone, it's in, our, it's in our natural human ability that we want more things, right? We have a house. We want a bigger one. We have a car. We want a better one. And some people will say, that's not true. That's not true. And maybe it isn't for some people, but it is for a lot of people. So I think if I had to start all over, like my, my, my blueprint would just be to find a industry that I really believe in that has the opportunity to grow. And then I would find a company in that space where A, I could learn a lot and two, I would have some equity upside in. I love you, love you keep mentioning not avoiding W-2 income, but thinking outside of the W-2 income. And I love the fact that you, you're harping on that because I think that like when you, nobody's ever gotten a W-2 income and no one's boss has ever came and said, hey, you know what? You're going, we're going to 8X your income this year. Right. We're going to five yeah. exit. Right. <laughs> We're going to give you a bonus, maybe five percent of your W-2 income. Right. <laughs> like, like we're going to keep it within range. But there's not too many companies that are coming around and and really giving you those multiples. So for those who don't who, who aren't really understanding. Right. What Joe is talking about is trying to find ways to, as we talk about all the time, make your money your employee. How can I invest my money or put it into put it to work for me in ways that are going to get me rich? Not just, we're not talking about slow gains and returns over time. We're talking about finding those industries that will really turn, have you looking at your bank account like, oh, oh, I'm going to start talking to people different, right? Like, that's what we're looking for right there. And, that, and I think that it's, it's awesome to hear you talk about it because so many financial gurus and advisors, right, they take the safe route. And they take the, you know what, I don't want to mess with anybody's stuff. I don't want you to lose your money messing with me, right? Like, let's just do the bonds. Let's do the stocks, right? But we're really, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to, we're not trying to live like everybody else, right? So we got to do things different than everyone else. And I, I love the fact that you're taking the blueprint from what the wealthy are doing and you're actually living it. And I think the, the, the one thing I also want to add to that is like, it takes execution, and, and so what I, what I want to ask you is how do you go from from the idea and the thought to actually executing on something and staying disciplined? Because it's easy to to get to, to January 1, 2022 and say, hey, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get trim. And then a week and a half later of eating broccoli and, you know, grilled chicken with no seasoning, you're like, man, I don't know about this. Right. So what have you done? What do you do to keep yourself disciplined and on track for that legacy plan that you have for your family? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And to be honest, it's something I think a lot about, and I, I consistently reinforce it in my own life and my and myself, not only with uh, portfolio and financials, but also like personal goals. 
because I think at the end of the day, it's super easy to say, like, let's use a real life example. Someone wakes up uh, on New Year's Eve and they say, hey, this year, my goal is going to be to run a marathon, right? And that's fantastic. That's cool. But that's not how you should think about it. What you should do instead of saying, I want to run a marathon is you should say, I'm going to run a 5K every day for, for three months, right? Or a, five, or, or two, a 5K twice a week for three months or whatever it ends up being. But you set these small goals. And what you'll find is you'll run that 5K once, it'll suck. You run it a second time, it'll suck. Third time, it might still suck. But the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time, you'll start getting better at it. You'll start getting faster. Mm -hmm. You'll shave off a minute here, a minute there, oh. two minutes here, whatever. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, shit, I could probably run a half marathon. Mm. And then you run that half marathon. And then three weeks later, you come back and you run a little bit further, right? So it's all about setting these small goals that add up to the bigger goal. So if you say, hey, look, I want to end the year and I want to save, uh, save $10,000, save $800 a month, right? Every paycheck you get, you get paid twice a month, put $400 aside. Don't look at it. Adds up at the end of the year and you'll say, hey, I reached my goal. But if you just say, oh, maybe this paycheck I'll take a little out. Maybe this one I'll take a little out. It's not how it works. You got to look and you got to look at set small, small, small goals. The smaller you can go, the better, right? The small as you can go and those will add up to the big ones. So with finances, personal goals, whatever it is, like my advice around that stuff is always just to set the smallest amount of goals and make sure you check in regularly and make sure they're adding up to the bigger ones. I love that. And real, real nice. quick, I want to add on to that because all that running talk just made me hungry. So I got, got me thinking about Buffalo wings. But it also reminded me of a, 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 something my coach told me in college. We were trying to repeat. And, and one of the things he said is, is he read this, this book. He gave us all this book called Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson. And it talked about the journey and the process, right? And, and he always, I remember this like it was yesterday. He always said, if we stare so much at the finish line, hoisting the trophy at the end of the year, you stare so much at the track race, you stare at the finish line, you risk tripping over the rock in front of you today, right? So instead of having your focus so far, like you understand where you're trying to get to, but then let's look down and go step by step. Take it small, small goals, step by step. And that's how you eventually look up and you're like, oh, oh, I'm almost there, right? So I, I love mm -hmm. the fact that we, we all got to break down those big goals into small attainable goals that give you those small wins along the way that's huge yeah i love that and and i don't have it on me but for any of your listeners that go go i advise them to go look at warren buffett's net worth chart over a year time frame right and what you'll see is it goes steady 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 and then that compounding hits and it goes like this <laughs> and he acquired more more of his wealth in like the last five years than he had his whole lifetime before that. Mm -hmm. And really what it was was him just staying committed to a detailed and specific plan. And he knew the whole time, hey, if I do this, 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 and this, if I add this much capital every year. And obviously there's some outsized returns and stuff like that. But really he stuck to a really, really, really strong plan. And it's something that a lot of people can do. It's not, it's not just for Warren Buffett, right? You'll see it on a smaller scale or whatever it is, but it's a plan that, that is proven works. Yeah. So now, now that you brought up two investment goats, right? Charlie Munger and both Warren Buffett. And obviously they got a different type of discipline, but I always tell people, right? At the end of the day, when it comes to investing, try to follow the smart money, right? And so now when we take a step back and we start thinking about kind of, because what got Warren Buffett rich maybe, you know, over the past five years or 20, 30 years over, you know, as he was amassing his fortune, that might not be, you know, the way the world looks, right? I don't, I'm not certain he's big on crypto or Bitcoin at all for that matter. So now that we're thinking about, you know, who are some of the new people you follow, mm -hmm. right? And the reason I say that is like, when I tell people follow the smart money, if I say take a step back, you see, because we just played Legacy with Jay-Z, right? Him and Jack Dorsey buying Bitcoin together, right? You take a step back, like, okay, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, 
right? Wait, he's changing the name of Facebook to Meta, so he's really playing big on Metaverse, right? Jack Dorsey going back to him. He stepped down from Twitter willingly to focus on Square, aka now changing that name to Block. So he's big <laughs> on BlockFi or blockchain in general, excuse me. So like, what are some, who are some of the people you follow, right, to the younger audience so that they can say start, so they can, so they themselves can start saying, okay, let me follow what they're doing because just, what was it, yesterday or today, Nike bought, uh, what was it, artifacts, right? Literally all metaverse, right? So now they're filing patents, they wanna get heavy in metaverse. So like, as a person that, you know, that's younger, who are some people you like to follow that they themselves could start maybe following to see what type of investments they're making? Well, it's, it's to be honest, it's a lot of people you just mentioned. So like my, my thing around this is uh, it's very difficult. If you look at history, right? History teaches you more about this than anything. And if you look at history, there's very few investors, operators, et cetera, that have successfully navigated multiple different generations, right? So Warren Buffett is a great example of the, the tried and true and tested rules of personal finance, right? He understands compounding interest better than anyone. He's invested in a lot of businesses that were really, really, really good for the last 50 years. But do I trust Warren Buffett to teach me about uh, the metaverse, Web3, crypto, any of that? No, right? Like, and I don't think anyone that's involved in that space would agree with that, that he would be the right teacher for that. So mm -hmm. that's not to shame Warren Buffett. He's an incredible investor. He's a legend. And he's obviously done very, very well for himself. But ultimately, you have to find the people that are building really disruptive things today, right? And you want to have some kind of, uh, uh, of foundational knowledge that they know what they're doing. They've built things in the past and all that. But ultimately, my point really is that there's very few people that have successfully navigated multiple generations. Mm. So I look at investors of today. I look at people that are leading uh, new technologies, people that are free thinkers that can think outside the box, that do not just regurgitate thoughts from other people. I look at... Uh, people that have built successful companies. Jack Dorsey is a good example, right? He is clearly someone that was at Twitter, built an incredible company, built another company at Square, had a lot of time and spent them both doing that entire thing. And then he removed himself from Twitter and said, I want to go focus on, on this technology, right? This is something I'm interested in. This is something where my services can be used for. So people like that, I think, are the ones that people should really be looking at. I got one final question for you, um, and it's a, it's a mindset thing, right? So one of the things that I always get, and I think it's, it's also what Ross was talking about earlier, right, is... Uh, like the kids like, yeah, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, I want to be rich today, right? Uh, Rick Ross, I want to be rich forever, you know, as Ross says, right? But, but delayed gratification is a character trait, in my opinion. And it's also sometimes it's also a privilege, right? Because there's sometimes where you're just trying to survive. There's some people we're trying to survive the week. We're trying to keep the lights on. It's hard to find investable assets, right? My question to you is how... Because clearly you're a visionary, right? You have a vision for your life that's beyond where you are today, right? You had a vision for your life at 26 that was beyond the desk at J.P. Morgan. How do you accept delayed gratification, right? Like, I'm an NFL player. I love what I do. But the dream I have for myself is, is a lot further than where I'm at today. How do you accept that and internalize being patient to actually reach that goal. Well, so the, the thing I would say about that is uh, you have to be, you have to put yourself in a position or be fortunate enough to have that ability first off, right? Like the, the, the idea that people have to keep the lights on, the people that, the idea that people have to feed their children, all of that 
totally get that. That comes first and foremost, and you have to get out of that situation before you can really start to think long-term. Now, there's things that you could do in the meantime to set yourself up for that, whether it's taking a specific job, whether it's going to school, whether it's you know educating yourself on certain things online, whatever it might be. But ultimately, I always go back to, to the simple idea that having a long time horizon and just really being patient, true patience, is a competitive advantage when it comes to building wealth and investing, right? So if you look at any of the things, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. And everyone says that, but there's very few people that follow it, right? And what that really means is, is just investing in ideas and trends and just getting invested. If you were in the S&P 500 for the last 10 years, you did amazing. You know what I mean? Like, and you didn't have to do a thing. So it's not even about being the smartest person in the room. It's not about uh, having some outsized knowledge gap that no one else knows about or having some secret. It's about just being patient. And it, go, it applies to everything in life, but specifically investing. So I think the idea is, one, you have to get yourself in that ability. You have to educate yourself. You have to understand what's going on. You have to put yourself in a situation to succeed. But ultimately, patience and, and, and time to think long-term and long-term horizons is a severe competitive advantage when it comes. So like take, uh, take venture capital, for example, right, or angel investing or any of this kind of private market stuff. They don't see returns for 10, 12, 15 years, right? Not only is that a long time horizon, but half these companies end up going mm, to zero, yeah. right? So when you think about it in the context of like, not only are they betting big on things, right? So if you get in early, if you bet on a company, uh, like Coinbase is a good example. The seed round was at like eight, nine, 10 million bucks, mm. something like that. Whew. That company went public at 60, $70 billion <laughs> because it was a life-changing industry, right? It was, a, it was an industry that changed the world and it was the bigger winner in that space. So if that company would have – literally these funds, if you go look at the funds that invested and you looked at every other investment in that portfolio, they could all go to zero and they would have returned money to investors off of one bet, right? So it takes years to play out, but it's one thing that a lot of people didn't believe in and they saw it before everyone else did, right? And it takes a lot of things to go right. It takes some luck. It takes a lot of things like that. But ultimately, those are the keys to really uh, – to, to building something special outside of just yourself and more generations. Love that, love that, and and uh, I want to just highlight in that my my the godfather of my second son, uh, Troy. Shout out to Troy; he's going to be a guest on here as well. This man, uh, you know, he he's done some amazing things in venture, and he just got LeBron and Drake and Naomi Osaka to invest in his company, and literally in about well, I mean, he's been grinding for years, like you mentioned, but once that 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 uh, the paperwork was signed. On paper, he, he even made more than I've made my entire football career and more than a lot of people in my locker room have ever made, right? <laughs> so that delayed gratification is real and that industry disruption is huge. Well, Cope, I, I, got, a, I, got, a, I got a better example for you because this is real life and it just happened, right? Pat McAfee was an NFL player, right, a punter. He left millions of dollars on the table. People called him crazy. Literally, there's videos of, of, uh, of people on TV saying, strap the helmet back on, get back out there, you're an idiot. And he had the idea that he wasn't being fulfilled by his current job. He wanted to go do something different. He took a bet on himself, right? And said, this is my vision for the future. I think I'm good at this. I should go build something. And now he's going to make way more money, 7, 8, 10, 15 times more in the media side than he ever made in his NFL career. And whether it's about money or not, it speaks to the idea of having that patience, that long-term thinking, and having belief in yourself to go out and bet on yourself, right? And, and, and the godfather of your child is the same exact way, I assume. To, to Pat of having that long-term ability to think and really creating something generational that can be, that can live on long after, after Amen. you're gone. Amen. Joe, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to 
join us here on Money Music Culture, man. We appreciate you. Can you let our listeners know, our viewers and listeners know where they can find you and where they can get the newsletter? Yeah, so uh, the easiest place is just on Twitter. I'm at Joe Pompliano on Twitter. Um, there, there's a link to the newsletter and the podcast and everything in there. So uh, if you go there, you can check it all out. Much love, man. It was a pleasure having you. And I appreciate y'all having me. You guys are doing great things, and I'm pumped to come on here. Of course, man. That's another episode of Money Music Culture. As my guy Ross always says, go share this with your cousin, your sister, your auntie, the neighbor, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-boyfriend, anybody you don't like. Go ahead, share this, like, subscribe, Money Music Culture. I'm your boy, Brandon Copeland, a.k.a. Professor Cope. It's your boy, Ross Mack. And we will see you next time. Peace.